Welcome to our latest edition of A Conversation With podcast. Today we are joined by our special guest Lisa Cherry, who first met with our presenters from today, Chloe, Lewis and Lydia, at the start of their apprenticeship journey in 2021. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Well, I do speaking and training and writing and research on trauma, recovery and resilience. What actually made you want to do that? I know you've um, got some of your own experiences, but what pushed you to start doing that and using your experiences for that? Well, I don't know if it's as simple as using my experience, but I know that my experience really made me have the career that I've had, which is in education and social work. I think in terms of speaking and training, that happened by accident, really. So I was invited to speak at a conference and... It was, you could hear a pin drop, and I thought, I'm quite good at this. (laughs) Because you don't really know, do you? You know, you don't know what you're good at until you do it, and somebody just gave the opportunity for me to do that, and one thing led to another, and that's what I've been doing for about 12 years now. Well, you are definitely good at it. (laughs) Well, that that was lovely, thank you. (laughs) What would you say the best piece of feedback or compliment you've had? from doing this your line of work I think I've just had it I think I just got it from the lovely interviewer here you know when I think when people notice that you're good at something it's a lovely thing but I think in this work when I can see my work starting to infiltrate into other things whether that's in universities that are training social workers and teachers and they've got to read my books and so my work is starting to filter into there when I hear sometimes phrases that I know are mine and I hear people using them, I think that's a compliment. So, yeah, I think we all need to know that we're good at what we do. But at the same time, this kind of work is something you're driven to do. I'm very driven to do this work. So it's rather handy that I'm good at it. <laughs> <laughs> what top tips could you give to how are children and young people? I think my favourite top tip is around seizing opportunities, which I think you've all done, actually, in being apprentices for the local authority. There was an opportunity, you saw it, you seized it, and you went with it. Because the thing about opportunities is we have to be presented with them, but then we have to see that we've been presented with an opportunity, and then we have to believe that we're worth going for that opportunity, So that would be my kind of top tips. Have your eyes wide open for opportunities and then go for them. For any social workers who may be listening, what top tips could you give them about working with children and young people? Well, I guess I've just done two hours of of my favourite top tips in the conference we were at this morning. And that's very much around really thinking about language really thinking about working with, doing with, walking alongside with, rather than doing to, understanding that the child will become an adult. Yeah. I think that gets very lost, and that can get very lost in thinking about how we record and write things that are going on. Social workers have to write stuff down. They have to have a record of things. But what does that look like when the child becomes an adult and wants to go and read it? So being very mindful 
about the fact that that child will become an adult and will want to know what happened to them, which is very different than being driven to write something that might be used legally. When we read a file, if we've been in care and we want to go and read a file, the question we've got is not was it really good in court or was it a really good legal document. Our questions will be, what happened to me? I don't understand. And so that tension has to be really considered, I think, by the social worker. Yeah, and I think also that maybe social workers, they get too caught up in the fact that this is their job. I think they lose sight of the fact that they actually have like a child or young person's life in their hands because they make decisions for you. And I think they lose sight of that. They're like, this is my job, I've got to go do this. And if they can't do it, they've got the other aspect of the job, like the in-office stuff, like all the meetings and that, and then they've got the, the visiting. And I think if they get too caught up on one side of it, they lose sight of the young person. And then that young person is still counting on you. And if you don't tell them that you're turning up, it can ruin their entire plans and it can make them feel like terrible and just really ruin their mood for the entire day. I don't think social workers actually think about their side of it much. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, I think. It's that relational stuff again, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, how do you remember that actually the most important person in this in this is the young person mm. when you've got so many other pressures and demands and people asking you to write this report and get this done and you've got to go here and you've got loads of things to think about but that needs realigning yeah you're right I think as an organization like we can do it on a whole as well because say if like say if I was a social worker for instance god forbid um if I (laughs) if I was going on a visit (laughs) and I knew that this person was struggling quite a bit and that they maybe just needed some extra time I'd say to my manager, I'm going to block this entire day out and I'm going to spend that day with this child, this young person, and I'm going to be purely focusing on them. I'm not answering emails, I'm not answering phone calls. If it is an emergency, that is the only time you can contact me. But my pure focus today is this child. I don't think it would be accepted. I think they would be like, no, you do have this meeting today, you've got this, this and this, but at the end of the day... You're working for children's services. You came into this job, hopefully, to support the children, not to be stuck in an office and prioritising your meetings. I know that the meetings are important, but at the end of the day, your main focus should always be the child or young person that you have to go and visit. I bet if you asked every single social worker in that room... That's what they would much prefer to do than be going to all the meetings, writing the reports, going there, doing all of that stuff. That motivation and desire is what will have brought them into the work. Yeah. And, you know, the reality is, is, is how lost that gets, I guess, depends on the team. And like you say, the manager in that team as well. Yeah. Because some teams that's going to get lost quick time. But in other teams, it would be a case of really prioritising that. Yeah, because also at the same time, when I say like focusing on the child as well, that doesn't always necessarily mean being with that child your entire working day. That could be prioritising their story. I don't like to say case, but prioritising what's happened to them and looking at their file. Because, I mean, I haven't looked at my file yet because I'm too scared to, because I know it's just going to make me angry. Because I've seen... The paperwork from my reviews, where it's got your background section, and everything is wrong in it. 
they've completely stopped listening to me and they've just filled in the gaps that I can't remember and that's wrong so I think if you can't remember anything at the end of the day we're all human if you can't remember anything call the young person because the last thing you're going to want is to be sat there on your own reading about what somebody's put about your background and being like this is wrong and I've spoken to about three different people 50 times about it so how is it still wrong there's been about three or four times that I've had to go through some paperwork that's talking about what's happened to me and my background and I've had to go through and highlight it and annotate it and go no this is what happened and a lot of it was quite hurtful stuff as well that was completely wrong and I knew it was wrong. I didn't read my file till I was over 40 because I didn't want to read other people's views and opinions on my life. But I felt ready later on. So I'd, I really understand that position and my, my opinion, I have an opinion on this, which is that it's worth reading later on, you know? Yeah. Later, because you can't possibly have processed all the things that have happened and each time you have a relationship or each time you have a child or some a relationship ends or you start a different job or all the different things in life that happen they shift and alter the way you process what happened before and so if you're a bit older it gives you that chance to not be quite so impacted by other people's views because you've made more sense of them yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure we had a meeting at some point about that, like just making sure that you're actually ready to read your fault. And we just had a conversation about the importance of making sure that you're ready and maintaining your own mental health as well. Absolutely. That sounds like a very wise conversation to me. This one's for everyone, actually. What would you say your favourite subjects in school was? Um, I listen. I didn't really get on very well at school. I think would be the best thing to say. If I had, and if I'd had the kind of teachers that could have seen my wonderfulness, then it probably would have been English because I love writing and I love reading, and it's no surprise to me that that's what a large part of my work. And probably music, Chloe. My favourite subject has got to be gymnastics because I was into all of that, like dance and gymnastics, so, yeah. My favourite subject in school was probably sports. Sports? Yeah. Well, to be fair, you do like your football, do you? To be fair, in school, it wasn't actually football that was my favourite. So, no. I actually enjoyed badminton more. <laughs> nah, to be fair, badminton was class. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it. So, I did GCCPA and I love badminton. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I'm a bit of a nerd, really. Like, I've always loved learning, but I've hated school, so it's a bit odd. But I think I had two favourite subjects. One was dance, which I absolutely adore. And the other one was actually geography. I loved geography. I thought it was so interesting. And I, I really picked it up really easy, so it made me feel all smart. So I was like, hmm, I like this. Makes me feel very clever. <laughs> How did you get to where you are today in your career? Well, it won't be any surprise to you that I work really hard and I've always worked really hard. I think part of that is because when you live your passion, it's not work. And I think what I've done is I've been lucky enough to find a passion, which being in care gave me. I was so incensed by the system as a young person and was always complaining and writing to the director and (laughs) 
Oh, I'm seeing a few, a little nod there over there. I was, I was that young person. And, um, and then going and, you know, trying to sort myself out and then going off to uni. I was very supported by a number of charities that helped me get housing and then helped support me to go to uni. And then I started working in a, in a leaving care team. And I did that for years and then moved into education. And I think it was a natural progression to to move into an arena that was actually supporting those doing the work in how to do that well. And I did bring some of my personal experiences into that, which I hadn't done when I worked in social work and in education. So lots of hard work and also wanting to be very creative, wanting to do things my way, funnily enough, wanting the freedom to say what I want to say, which you often don't have when you work for local authorities. You're quite limited. Sometimes you have to be very cautious. You have, you have to be quite partisan. And when you work for yourself, you can be yourself. You can really show up as yourself. And that has felt really important to me. So I think how I got here was figuring out who I was and living, living that fully. With you being care experienced, do you ever find it difficult to speak your mind? Do you ever feel like you're not going to be heard if you, if you say what you're thinking? Uh, I can honestly say that that's not a problem for me. <laughs> Has it ever bothered you in your life? I think the, the only time that I could really sort of identify with that would be working in the sector. Yeah. When actually... Actually, that's not strictly true because as a younger person, I did not want to share my experiences because people who, you know, we've come a long way. We really have. But in the olden days, you'd be hard pressed to find someone else with your experience. Mm -hmm. Local authorities didn't create spaces for people to come together. We didn't have social media groups you know, I didn't know anybody else that had my experience. And when you don't know other people that have your experience, it can be quite shame-inducing. So you feel quite ashamed of those experiences. Yeah. But things have changed a lot, a lot. And there are many more spaces where you can show up as yourself. And listen to me, don't ever be frightened to speak your truth. Not like ever. Don't ever. You step into that. And be authentic, because that's what the world needs. That is what the world needs. So don't ever feel like you can't speak your truth, not ever. Yeah, because like the reason I ask, like I've always been very strong-minded. I've always got like a lot of a lot of strong opinions, <laughs> and for the most part, I do speak my mind. But say, for instance, for like today when you was doing your presentation, there was a lot of things going through my mind that I was like, no, I'm not going to talk about that because I know that maybe a handful of people in that room would have actually probably understood what I was on about and maybe the rest of them I'll get a bit worried that they're not going to understand and they're not going to actually fully hear me they'll listen but they're not going to hear me and they might get offended and they might think something completely different from what I'm trying to portray and that's the last thing I want I want to be able to speak my mind and like get my point out there but at the same time I don't have enough trust in people that they're actually going to take the time to hear me and open up their mind to actually un- try and understand what I'm saying. And some of that is trusting yourself. And it's about harnessing the way you articulate yourself 
and really, really crafting that art because conveying complex messages simply in ways that don't evoke a defensive response, which is what I think you're talking about, they're skills that take time to really practice and harness. So things like doing the podcast, things like being an apprentice, things like the care council, any opportunity that you've got to express yourself verbally and articulate what's going on for you will help harness, cultivate and polish those messages. So you are completely on the right track. But the more you talk about them with different types of people from different backgrounds, with different experiences, the more you will shape and frame how you do that. Yeah. I feel like people get a bit scared off from me though. Like if I start talking about something, like I can I can get very passionate and I can get really into what I'm saying. I think it scares people off a bit. Passion is a very beautiful thing. Yeah. What would you say the best trip you've taken is? I have been on lots of journeys. It's such a big question, isn't it? Because I immediately go to travel. But actually, I wonder if the greatest journey you go on is the journey to understanding yourself. I think that's a pretty good uh, trip. But once I've done that, (laughs) then let me think. I would say, oh, it's so hard. I've been to so many places. Do you know what? I love all the places I go to because I just love journeying. I love going to different places. You know, we talk about harnessing your message, but also expanding your mind comes from travel. When you travel and you go to different countries and you surround yourself with different cultures, it helps you think much more expansively about the different ways it is to be a human. And I think that's important because if you don't have opportunity to see all the different ways it is to be a human, you can think that humans are a certain way, that living like this is a certain way, that the whole world is living like this, doing a podcast with headphones on, you know, whereas actually there's people all over the world with many different interpretations of what they're doing today. And so I think I couldn't say I have the greatest trip. All trips bring jewels. Have you always wanted to travel? I love travel. I'm that person. I remember being really young and I just loved being in the train station. I didn't even have to get on the train. Just even being in the train station, thinking about going somewhere and, and then being on the train. I mean, the train, trains are rubbish now. There's no, there's no let the train take the strain anymore. But there was a time, there was a time when being on the train was fantastic. You'd sit there and you'd watch the world spin past, but now you can't get a seat, so you can't really do that. But um, I love trains. Yesterday I was on a ferry. Because I was in Danoon and I was in Glasgow, so I had to take a ferry. That was interesting. Planes, I love planes. I love driving around in my car. Yeah, yeah, I've always been like that. I like that sensation of going somewhere new, going somewhere else to see something completely different. Yeah. Next question is, what is the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Never walk out of a door that you can't walk back into. Okay, expand on that. So, and I can't say I've always done this successfully, I've got to be honest. (laughs) Um, But I'm here to share my wisdom, so that would be my thing. I didn't know when I set out 
in my work that I was going to be here three decades later and will probably be here until, you know, until the end of my life, as long as I have my health, you know. And so I've met a lot of people over the years and it's nice when you bump into those people again and they've remembered you in a heartwarming way. Yeah. Not in a, oh, you were the shouty one that we had to get rid of (laughs) sort of a way. I love that I meet people who knew me years ago who say lovely, beautiful things about me. And that helps me feel really grounded in my work. Whereas I think sometimes if we're angry or hurt about something or we're leaving a post, we might forget that these are our colleagues and we may meet up again sometime. So yeah, that would be my biggest advice really. Never walk out of a door that you can't walk back into. What is something that you want to achieve or do in your future? Well, I am doing my research. I think if I can get to the end of that and produce some really good work from that, that will feel like such a big achievement. And really continuing what I'm doing work-wise, that's, you know, at this stage of the day, I'm in the place that I want to be. So more of that would be where I want to be in the future. Lewis? For me, it's just, well, I mean, me and Lydia have just recently got our new internship that we're starting in the new year. And for me, that's one of the things that I want to give a proper go and at least give it a good enough go to know if that's something that I actually want to progress into. What's that doing? In my department, I'm in the Ministry of Justice. And I'm in Crown Prosecution Service. Well, mine is to get a successful job so I can um, provide for my two kids. Beautiful. That's mine. Mine is obviously to like give this internship a go because, you know, had an opportunity, seizing the opportunity, as you said. Um, but the other thing is, like, I've been thinking about this for a couple of months now. I'm really interested in writing a book. But, like, I know it's a novel. I want to write a novel because I, like, I enjoy my reading. But I kind of want to incorporate, like my experience of being in care in it as well because I've thought about it I haven't ever heard of a novel that includes anything about being in care so I kind of want to do something along those kind of lines and just do it for fun so I'm gonna put you in touch with my beautiful friend Rosie Canning whose entire work is all about that all about literature and care experience in literature and she would love to speak to you and to connect with you she's just doing her phd as well mm. all about and she's written as, it as a novel oh she yes oh, i'll have to have a look at that you will love rosie yeah i'd love that who would you say the most influential person in your life has been my greatest teachers have been my children what would you say they've taught you how to love yeah did you find that difficult then before you had your children I think there's something about when you have your kids and it's quite confronting to have your own children and some of the things, you see the world in a different way, you think about things in a different way. And I don't know if it's that I found it hard to love, I feel like I'm quite a loving kind of person, but it's just when you're parenting and you still because I was obviously young, you're still processing your own experiences. 
I think the most trying time was when they were teenagers. And I think watching them as young adults is quite emotive as well, especially in current times when it's quite hard for them to actually be adults because it's really difficult to live independently. It's difficult. Food's really expensive. Electricity's really expensive. All of those things. I did do a podcast, actually, that was released last week that's talking specifically about parenting post-trauma because I think for people with care experience, there are very few spaces to talk about it. But actually, as parents, regardless of whether we have care experience or not, we do repeat patterns of behaviour. Even in trying to behave differently, we create other problems. Yeah, And I think most parents would um, identify with that. But yeah, they've definitely been my, um, my greatest inspiration. What's one question you'd like to be asked and how would you answer it? Do you know, I think that's such a good question. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what question would I like to be asked? Um, how do you like your coffee? And I would respond with... I personally like freshly ground coffee from a Gargia machine with skinny milk and shavings of dark chocolate. (laughs) Very luxurious. So when I arrive somewhere to speak and they say, would you like coffee? Then that's how I answer it. And then they think that I'm a bit of a diva. (laughs) Well, I mean, you like what you like, don't you? Exactly. Thinking back to... Your teachers, and this is for everyone, was there one teacher that really stood out with you and stuck with you through your life? Several, mm-hmm. actually. Mrs Astley, I remember, and Mrs Mann. Now, Mrs Mann got me, I don't know if you remember this, but when you wet yourself at school, they'd go and find some big blue knickers. <laughs> and I remember Mrs Mann, because she went and got the big blue knickers, and Mrs Astley was my infant school teacher. I remember Mrs. Grant because she slapped me around the face. Oh. I think that's called assault now. Um, And I remember Mr. Morton who said he would like to foster me. Oh. Yeah. So it's funny, isn't it? The teachers you remember all for very different kind of reasons. Yeah. That's, they're the teachers that I really specifically remember. Most of the others are a bit of a blur, to be fair. Who's, who do you remember? For me, it wasn't really like an actual teacher. It was more of a PA and someone that I'd go to if uh, I'd been naughty in class or something. Is this the Pringle thing? Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's more than that. She yeah. she was literally the, the only reason that I didn't get kicked out of my school. What, what, was, what was the Pringle thing? Did she bribe you with them or did she just... Like, yeah, she actually... <laughs> did she give <laughs> them you or what? <laughs> Um, basically what happened was if I stayed in every one of my lessons for that day she'd buy me a tub of Pringles to kind of say as a reward you so obviously so. love Pringles right <laughs> <laughs> well I, 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 I was a big fan of Pringles yeah so yeah she knew that Pringles was the way yeah yeah now, I've got a question about that. Is this one box of Pringles a day or one per lesson you go to? It started off at uh, one a day and then it went to one a week. One a week? 
Say, I'm very interested to know the actual total amount of how many Pringles yeah. you actually had off yeah, this one. It started from like <laughs> year 10 ish and then year 11 she left anyway. And that was the end of the whole Pringle party. <laughs> no. No. Was it not? Yeah. No. Who carried it on? On my 18th birthday, she actually turned up at my house Aww. with um, a box of Pringles. <laughs> Now, you know, that's the kind of thing that I hope everybody is listening to and thinking about because that's the stuff that makes the difference. Not only did she remember your birthday after leaving her post, mm. she brought you something that meant something to you. And that, that is a pure example of proper relational practice. Beautiful. Claire? I don't really have one. None of my teachers was nice at school, so... It's because they all knew that I was obviously in care, so then they treated me differently. So they didn't treat me as the same as the kids, so... Negatively or positively? Negatively. Mm. I just didn't like none of them. I mean, for me, it was um, two. So one was my form tutor, Mrs Johnston. I loved her. She was lovely. She, um, she never hesitated to tell me when she thought I was doing something wrong, which I loved. Because she would never hold a grudge about it either. So she'd come back and be like, completely normal again and completely happy. And I knew I could always go to her about anything. And she, she took the time to sit down with my nan and granddad when I was moving through different places. Like when I was like moving from my nan and granddad's into foster care and back and forth and all that. So she really took the time to actually make sure that we was all all right as a family. And then... The other teacher that kind of really stuck with me is um, Miss Knight, or as we used to call her, we used to call her T-Dog, because her first name's Tanisha. Um, she was my dance teacher, and we actually had a protest in school about it because she was on a temporary contract, and they'd promised her that she could stay on until we'd left, because at the time we was in year nine. And then, um, yeah, they just they got rid of her out of nowhere. She had about two weeks, and... For those two weeks, we kept protesting and we got threatened to get kicked out. But she was lovely. She was like she was like the mom that I didn't have at the time. So she really stuck with me. She really inspired me to actually get into dance. And without that, I don't think I would have got through those years. If you had the attention of the whole world for five minutes, what would you say? The stuff that I say every day. That children become adults and adults were once children. And as such, children are the future. I would probably say also something about make everything matter. Make what you do matter and remember that you are agents of change. What change do you want to be? Do you want to be changed for the better? Or do you want to continue things that are not right and not okay? Probably something about that, I think, but much more articulately and eloquently, I would hope. See, <laughs> I've got a solution for that. So if you've only got five minutes, what you could do is literally say, search me up, and then walk <laughs> off. And then you can say everything that you need to say in five minutes without saying it. Do you know what? I think that is my kind of plan. It's been really lovely to sit and chat with you, and I'm really looking forward to listening to the podcast. And, you know, it's just been so nice to talk with you all and just kind of have a ponder and a think about things in a different way and that's the the beauty of having conversations with different people yeah is it gives us the opportunity to think about things in a slightly different way and that's it that's a beautiful thing this podcast was presented by chloe lewis and lydia 
and produced and edited by Vicky Sylvester Grant.